God, God, and God lives in them. We have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in this love that He has for us. His love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. Uh, just receive that this morning as we come into a year. And thank you, Penny Burnett, for highlighting that in your on your phone because I got it. <laughs> so I just wanted to to share that over you this morning because those who give thanks and. We're finishing a year right now. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But those who give thanks, how, how, do, you, how do you connect more with the love of God? You know, is it like, oh, just fill me with your love, God? I, I think that the active part, the poise that we need to take on is that we give thanks. Because there is an incredible power in giving thanks. The, the, you know, it, it changes your poise. It, it it moves you. It, it cr- brings you to an open position where you say thanks. And, and let me pray this morning. I, I, we want to thank God for his faithfulness. We want to thank him for all that he has done in our lives this year. We want to thank him for the fact that, that you know, he has brought us this far. Or as, as, as an Old Testament verse says, thus far. And he's not going to let us go. So, Lord, we, we position ourselves into that poise of thanksgiving this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you've done in and through us this year. We thank you that you continue to work in us. We, we choose to thank you for your love. And we thank you, Jesus, that you make this possible. We thank you that that you died, that you have lifted the weight of guilt from us, that you've opened a way for us. And we choose to give thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. See. I remember uh, uh, the who got to see the yachts finish? It was the right time of day, isn't it? You know, sometimes the, the Sydney Hobart finishes, you know, at two or three in the morning and it's, it's only the real diehards that get up to see that. Um, I, I was very blessed. We, I was out for my morning bike ride, as, as I often doing, and we were having coffee and a cafe in Lindisfarne and, you know, we were just chatting about it. And, and I'm riding back across the Tasman Bridge and, and I don't know why, but I was looking right boats are on my left, but I, I was looking, I was looking right. And I, and, and I saw this, this motor cruiser coming down the river and it, it, it was going flat out. And I thought, well, I bet it's going out to see the boat. So of course, then my attention shifted to my left and, and I looked straight to the left and there's Wild Oats 11 coming across the finish line, just as I, I was riding across the bridge. So, you know, right place, right time. So, I, you know, I, I was, then rode straight down into Constitution Dock and was able to, to be there and, and watch the boat dock and be there for that. You know, life's a bit like that, isn't it? Sometimes you are in the right place, right time, and you think, wow, I was lucky. And, and then sometimes you think, well, other people are lucky and I'm never lucky. Did you know in God, you know, he is, there aren't coincidences. He is actually working things in your life all the time. And, and I think when we take on that poise of thanksgiving, we're actually in a position where more of those so-called coincidences actually happen in our life. 
because we are ready to receive and we're ready for what he's going to do. So we're, we're coming into a new year and obviously we'll be talking about that soon. But I, I want to talk this morning um, about starts and finishes. Um, when, I, when I think about the way that you start a season, it, it often has a lot to do, and Grant's already said this morning, the way that you finish a season. And when we look at what Jesus showed us, when he got ready for his season of ministry, um, that was greatly impacted by the way that he finished and prepared for that season. So, you know, he, he grew up, he did all, all the things that he, that he needed to do, and, and the time came for him to start to minister. And if you, if you understand a little bit of, of his history, we, we read that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness. Who's had a wilderness experience? You know, we all have, haven't we? They come into our lives. But sometimes we get there because we just wandered there. Um, Sometimes we did something silly and found ourselves in the wilderness. And sometimes it just happens. But I think the important thing is that, that whatever season that we're in, we can actually be led by the Holy Spirit in and through that season. So Jesus wasn't just in the wilderness randomly. The Holy Spirit actually led him into the wilderness and he went through that season of testing and then the Holy Spirit led him out of the wilderness. And if, if you've read your Bible a little bit, you'll understand that he came out of the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with authority and power for the season that was ahead of him. And and yes, a year is just a, a mark in time and sometimes our, our seasons don't always line up with that, but there is no doubt we all go through seasons in our life. And, and I want to talk this morning about, uh, about starts and finishes. As we come to the end of a year, how do we finish a season and, and be ready for the season that's ahead? Uh, and I want to look, just sort of get our, our mindset so that we're ready for that this morning. As you know, the date is going to change and you're not going to wake up that much different, really. You'll probably have the same friends, same challenges, probably the same bank account. Depending on how you celebrate it, it might even be less healthy uh, than it was the day before. But a new year brings new opportunities. Seasons will change. There will be things that draw to a close and there'll be opportunities that present. So how do we prepare ourselves to accept those things that close so that we're able to embrace the opportunities that present? And if you've got your Bibles this morning or whatever you're using, your devices, let's have a look at at John 3 in verse 23. And it it talks about, about John the Baptist. And he had a specific calling on his life. And his calling was actually to prepare the way for Jesus. And sort of, it's a pretty cool thing, pretty cool role that he had. But it almost, it goes against some of our our natural human inclination. You see, his, his whole calling in life was actually to get ready for someone else. But in our humanity, we want to be the man, don't we? 
or, or, or the girl or, or whoever. We, we want to be the one, whereas his calling was not to be the one. It was actually to get ready for the one. And, and he embraces that and he's very successful with that. And if you read, you just go back a, a couple of chapters in, in John chapter 1, 6 to 9, it says, God sent a man. John the Baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So in John 3, you'll read, that he, you know, John's been faithfully serving in his calling and he was... You know, he was the biggest show in, sta- in town. You might have heard um, Grant say that Pete Shirley's a, a rock star. Well, you know, John the Baptist really was a rock star. He, he had it all going on. He, he wasn't actually in town. He was out of town and multitudes, everybody was making their way from the towns and the villages out into the wilderness or the desert to listen to him preach. You know, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't sit at home in their comfort and, and decide which preacher they were going to YouTube this week and, and, and which person they associated with. No, they actually had to, to make a trek. They had to walk. They had to be very intentional. They had to get out of town. They had to get out of their environment. They had to get out of their comfort. They had to get out of their safety and get themselves out into the wilderness. And they were coming in multitudes. Heaps of them were coming. And they had been repenting, which means that they, that they were actually turning around from the way that they'd been living. They were moving their focus from what they'd been focusing on, and they were focusing on God, and they were saying, you know what, we've got this wrong. We're sorry that we haven't honoured you in our lives, God, but we want to turn around and, and to, to show everybody they were serious about that. John was baptising them. We're told that he was preaching out next to a river or, or, a, or a lake and, and people were getting baptised. They were saying, you know, we've got this wrong. We want to make you number one, God. And, and they were doing that in large numbers. So John had what you might call a successful ministry, if you use those terms. And it says this in John three twenty three. It says, at the time John the Baptist was baptising at Ananon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. See, John presented the truth and gave people the opportunity to respond. And I believe, as we go into a new year, that if people are presented with truth in a way that they relate to, in a way that they understand, and a way that they can receive it, people will respond. Don't worry about what you read. Don't, don't worry about the fact that, that, that we live in a, in a post-Christian society. Don't worry uh, about the fact that, that, that all these things would say, hey, it, it's not relevant anymore. Truth is truth. Truth stands and the truth of God changes lives. Doesn't matter what the time, what the season, what's going on. History will tell you that when people are confronted and, and presented with the truth, that people respond to the truth and lives are changed and and turned around. Verse 24, it says, This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, 
The man you met on the other the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, hey, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. Wow. He's also baptizing people. So so John's disciples have noticed what Jesus is doing. And they've said He's doing the same thing as us. We thought we thought that was our thing. You know, the crowds were coming to us. We were the biggest show in town. And and now there's somebody else over there doing it, and it's sort of it seems to be bigger than us. And then they started to look for reasons why the other guy wasn't doing it quite right. Have you been there? You know, we, we used to do it and we, yeah, we had, you know, we understood it. We had it right. But, you know, they, they've just sort of grabbed hold of this thing and they don't really get it. Like maybe you're, maybe you're at the, at the, at the forefront of, of, of style and trends. Like Tom here. Come on, Tom. Come up here and show us your socks. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> you know when you, you know you you, you get it, and, and 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 you know you you redo your kitchen, or you you do you do something, or, or and then after a while that trend goes on for a while, and everybody else gets on board with it, but you know they don't quite get it like you because they haven't got the same eye. Do they, Leanne? And they don't, they don't get that stuff. Because you're not, you had the monopoly on that. And then it goes on, it says, verse, verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So not only is Jesus over there baptizing and getting momentum, John's disciples are leaving John and following Jesus. Wow. We used to be the biggest church in town, but now that church started over there and people are leaving. And so they're talking to John. They're saying, you know what? We had it going on. What's wrong, John? Has the Holy Spirit left the building? What is going on? The multitudes used to come and hear you preach and we were baptizing thousands. Now it's slowed down to a dribble. That guy you baptized, now everybody's following following him. What were you thinking, John? It's all happening over there. And to top it off, his disciples... Uh, uh, baptizing people. You know, it sounded like, you know, John mainly just did it all himself with a few people around him, but Jesus didn't baptize anybody. He just empowered his disciples. And he had more than 12 disciples. So he, he, he actually had empowered all these, all these disciples and they are there baptizing thousands of people. John's disciples are saying, hey, what's going on? This just isn't right. Sometimes we're blessed with something, you know, we, and we can start to feel really exclusive about it. 
God showed us something. We got a revelation about something and we feel like we got the monopoly on that thing. See, the kingdom, the kingdom, and and, and this is probably the, the shift that was going on here. John was preparing the way. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. John was getting people ready. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. You see, the kingdom is not exclusive. The kingdom is inclusive. You see, you can have, you can have a messy theology and, and it mightn't help you live the most successful life that you could in the kingdom, but your messy theology doesn't exclude you from the kingdom. Jesus actually didn't say, you know what, you go to Bible school, you get it together and follow me. He said, no. He said, just come follow me like you are and we'll work that stuff out on the way. The kingdom of God is inclusive. It is not exclusive. And this was what was actually being demonstrated here. And the Bible teaches that the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller. You see, John's disciples, when they saw what was going on, they started getting religious. They started to say, hey, you know what? They're baptizing people and they're not doing ceremonial cleansing right. They're not understanding it. They don't quite get it. In fact, they're loose. These guys are loose. They're not doing it right. But if a generous attitude actually doesn't get so wound up about the Tic Tacs, it doesn't become religious, it actually is generous. And it says, you know what? My God's love is big enough and broad enough to actually include people and the power of God is so powerful it will set them free and those things will get sorted out with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, John replied, listen to this. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. If you want, if you want to receive stuff that lasts, has an impact on your life and actually makes a difference, it's the stuff that actually God is deliberately wanting to pour out on you. No one can receive anything of eternal value unless God gives it from heaven. It's easy to get all bent out of shape about the stuff that we think is ours, don't we? Do you know? Do you know how hard I've worked for that? Anyone that's had kids, as you know, we've had a, had a, a season of, of small children in our life. And, 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 you know, things that, you know, we value money-wise, they can come and wreck in an instant. <laughs> and we, we relate to that. Now, we feel a bit funny about it, but, but we sort of get over it because we love the kids. See, if we can bring that God factor into our lives and start to understand that, that, that we don't have to be all thingy about our stuff and we don't actually have to have the monopoly on everything and actually it's, it's not ours because our Father who has unlimited resources has given it to us as custodians, we're not sort of holding on like this. We're actually, we're looking after it with an open hand. 
You know, you think about this. If you're holding on like that, there's only so much that you can carry. But if I change my, my poise where I've got my arms open, there is so much more that I can embrace. And there's some word from some people this morning that, that worry less about what you've got and focus on what God is giving. Worry less about what you have. You don't have to fight for the things that you have. You need to actually open your arms and receive what God would bring. Now, you might be in a season where you feel like you're fighting for the last remnants of what is there. I want to encourage you, let go, open your arms and receive what God is bringing into a new season. You're not called to fight for that because God has already won that battle for you. It goes on, it says, You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare a way for him. Here's a word for someone here this morning. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. Now, nobody goes around saying they're the Messiah. But how many of except, yeah, how many of you sort of think that you're probably the answer to a whole lot of problems? <laughs> if people had just shut up and do what you said, it might be all right. And then we carry around all, all this pressure because we feel like we've got to sort out everybody's problems and fix them all up. Anyone been there? You are the only functional one in your dysfunctional family. Hey, anyone been there? <laughs> and because you're functional and they're dysfunctional, you've got to sort their stuff out. And while ever you sort their stuff out, guess what? They will keep coming. You can't fix everything. When I, when I came into more a, a, a full-time ministry-type role, that was probably hard for me because my, my job was to fix stuff. As an auto electrician, people brought stuff to you that was broken and didn't work, and mostly you just fixed it. And it was quick and easy, you know. Most most things you you fix within a few hours. Someone brought something in, it was broken, didn't work, all upset, went away happy because it was working. And, and then when we we get involved in in people's lives, it's harder than that. It's more complicated than that. It's slower than that. And what I had to learn is that it's not my role to fix people. It's actually only my role to do what John the Baptist did and actually point people to Jesus, the one who can fix people. And when we get that understanding, there is a huge pressure that goes off our lives. Because you know what? You are not responsible. You don't have to carry it all. You are not the Messiah. And as I said, you don't really think you're the Messiah, but we can sort of get into this place of thinking that we've got to be the person that fixes it all. If you don't know Jesus this morning, and you don't know what it actually means to have all that pressure released off your life, we're going to give you the opportunity this morning to actually meet him.
and get to know him and find out that when you can actually let that stuff go and give it to somebody else that can actually handle it, that it's incredibly empowering. As followers of Jesus, our job is to point people to him. Verse 29, this is John continues to talk. He said, It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear the vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at this success. Have you ever been upstage somewhere? Like it was your birthday party, but the friend you invited became the centre of attention. Well, who's, been a, who's been a best man or a bridesmaid? Oh, I've been in quite a few weddings over the years. And, and you know, your, your job's to stand alongside and smile. It's actually not about you, it's about them. And mostly that's, we're very happy for that. But I, I guess all of us have perhaps been to a wedding and, and unfortunately, you know, the, the bride has been upstaged by the very stunning bridesmaid or something like that. But let's, let me ask you a question. How good are you at celebrating somebody else's success? How good am I going to be probably sometime soon at celebrating the success of the Indian cricket team? Not very good. <laughs> Where do you sit, Jermaine? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I set him up. It's the only answer he could give. <laughs> and that's sort of okay if it's not your patch, if, if, if it's people not doing the same thing as you, you know, that we can celebrate success. But when it's really, really right in your thing, you know, your, your friend, everyone comments on, on, on how well she looks after her kids and what an awesome mother she is, and you just feel like, you know, you're not quite getting it. And it's sort of hard to celebrate the success. Or, or that person you work with, who everybody goes on about how amazing they are at their job. Or, you know, that when we're at school, that friend that was so popular, whatever it is, it's harder to celebrate those successes. But listen to what John the Baptist said. It's almost the culmination of what his disciples are asking him about. Verse 30, he said, He must become greater and I must become less and less. How's that go with humanity? He must become greater and I must become less and less. It goes against all our, our natural human instincts and desires. But it's a very liberating poise and attitude if we can understand it. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. Let me, let me give you some keys that I think that can help us 
embrace you know, the, the, some finishes and some commencements of seasons, some keys to, to even living through you know, the, the rest of this holiday period and, and, and being refreshed and, and being ready for a, a year that's to come, um, getting ready for all those things. I think number one, I think, is be happy. Be happy for other people's success. And that rolls off the tongue pretty easy. But the Bible encourages to laugh with those that laugh and cry with those that cry and be with them. But actually choose to celebrate somebody else's success. When somebody comes excited about something, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, that's great. Or, oh, yeah, but hey, gee, back in my day, we used to do a bit harder than that. (laughs) Change of poise. Fantastic, brilliant, I am so happy for you. And I guarantee the first time it might feel a bit hard, but if you really choose before God that you're wanting to celebrate other people's success, as you speak that out, as you mean it, something will change in you. And after a while, you can't wait to celebrate somebody else's success. You know what? That is an incredible, liberating place to be. Number two, these are not rocket science, they just work. Make God bigger. Now, now God is big. In reality, you can't make him bigger. He's the biggest thing there is. But it's our perspective. In our perspective, God needs to be bigger. You know, the closer you move to something, the bigger it gets. See, when I, when I was down um, on the waterfront on Friday morning and, and all the yachts are there and I'm doing what everybody else is doing, trying to get cool shots with my iPhone to put on social media. And, you know, you, you see this amazing view but then you put this little four-inch screen up there which zooms it all out and... And the very thing that you're trying to focus on, this this great big massive maxi yacht, is like a little dot in your photo. And you look at it and think, how disappointing. And, and to improve it, well, you've got you to try and zoom in on it. Or, or, or in reality, if you're looking at the mountain over there, it is actually, you know, the closer you move to it, the bigger it gets. The closer we move to God, the bigger he becomes in our world and his power and his authority actually and his love becomes bigger in our world. So God becomes bigger in our world and he's able to be God in our world rather than something just out there. You know, we we need to move closer to him. Make God bigger. We need to make him bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our problems, bigger than our success. You see, John the Baptist, and actually if you read the the tone of all that and the fact that he ended up in jail and and he does start to doubt and he sends some of his disciples to to ask, is this the real deal? He was battling with it in his humanity. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I just happen to be called and I know what I've got to do (coughs) and this is all easy. No, it wasn't easy for him. He just knew what he was asked to do and he knew what he needed to do to get through it. And he did have those seasons of, uh, of doubt. But you know what? You know, God became bigger than his own success. And, and sometimes the hardest place to be is not in the challenge, 
but in the success. You know, you can be working towards something and when you get it, it's like, wow, let's make God bigger than our success. Let's make him bigger than our problems. Let's make him bigger than our challenges. That praise and worship actually makes God bigger. Why do we start our services with praising and worshiping God? Because we actually, as people, need to put ourselves in a position where our focus moves from ourselves to him and makes him bigger. If you want to be ready for a year where you can actually walk through seasons as they close and be ready for what opens, we've actually got to choose to praise and worship our God. We've got to shift the focus from ourselves onto him and make him bigger in our circumstances. Number three, I think we've got to live out of the measure of faith given to you. In Romans 12 verse 3, it says, Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Who's had that said to you at high school? Be honest in the evaluation of yourselves. Listen to this. Now, this is, this is the key. Measuring yourselves by how well your friend is doing. Measure yourselves by what you have and haven't got. Measure yourself by your bank account. Measure yourself by the amount of toys you've got in your world. No, it says measure yourselves by the faith that God has given you. Now, you can look at somebody else on their journey with God and think, wow, you know, they're a giant of faith. They just seem to sail through this stuff and, and they're so faithful and they keep their focus on, on him. Now, you're not called to measure yourself against that. You're called to measure yourself by the sphere or the circle of faith that you have at whatever moment you are in your walk. And if you're faithful in that, you, you can actually decide that, 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 you know, what you're being faithful in the sphere. I'm not talking about a cop-out. Oh, I, I'm just going to live in, in a minimalistic way and not expect anything because that's all I've got. It's not saying that. It's saying, you know what, you know what God has asked you to do. You know what is on your life and you are making your judgments within that sphere. And, and there's a whole lot of pressure that moves off in that. And you know what, God will continue to make that sphere bigger because God is big and he just makes things bigger. Wherever he gets involved, things get bigger. The last one this morning, I think, and, and this sort of goes against a lot of the language that we use around here, but I'm, I'm talking about how we, how we process things, how we move into, into new seasons. I think we've got to decide, as John said, we've got to decide that, that we become smaller. I'm not talking about small as in a, a worm. I'm talking about just that sense of, how important you believe that you are. You're incredibly important to God and you need to know that. But, you know, within things, you don't have to be continually validated by your actions and by what's going on. You know what? You just don't have to do that. You can actually decide that actually what is actually going on in somebody else's life is actually more, more, more exciting than, than where you're at yourself. And that, again, goes against our, our human instincts. I'm not talking about shrinking back. I'm just saying, you know, that level of, of, of needing 
to be elevated in ourselves if we can actually let that go. Most of us, most of us have to go through that point of understanding that you know, we're not as big as we thought we were. And I often tell the story when, when, I, started, when I started cycling and, and sort of changed my, 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 my general physique from a, from a, a guy. Actually, I, I thought I was a big guy. And then, and then when the weight started coming off, I found actually my frame was quite slight. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't as big as I thought I was. And now I'm, I'm much happier to be slighter. I'm much happier not to have to carry all that around. You know, and that's the, it's the same thing with life. You know, when you, 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 you've got to try and carry around a big ego and a big stuff, it's actually a lot of weight to carry around. Now, none of us want to admit to ourselves that perhaps we do that, but in certain ways we do. And don't, don't confuse this. Don't misunderstand this with the confidence you have in God and, and seeing yourself in the right place and carrying yourself the way that you should. Those things are different. It's, it's actually, you know, just feeling like, you know, you, you, are, you, you, know, you, you actually are, are bigger. There's a credible power, like John said. You know what? Jesus is going to become bigger and, and what my part in that is, is actually up to him and I'm going to walk in that and I'm going to be fulfilled in what he's asked me to do. So I think as we go into a, a new season, as we finish off a, a season, that if we, you know, we actually can get to a point where, you know, the, what we're part of, what we're part of is huge. The, the, and, and I know, I won't t- tell this the right way around, but, but one of, you know, the phrases that, that Brian Houston has used over the years is that, you know, that he says something like, knowing that, that what you're part of is actually bigger than the part that you play. And, and you know, that, that's a kingdom principle, that, that what you are part of is actually bigger than the part that you play. And, and because what, so often the pressure comes on thinking that our part is so huge. You see this in church life all the time. You know, you get involved in a thing and your thing is the biggest thing in town. Why is it? Because it fills your world. Because that, that's where you are validated, all that. But when our focus moves to, okay, you know what? God is doing something massive and, and I am so privileged to be part of it. There's an incredible amount of pressure that goes off and, and we don't feel the same level of pressure. The same as we go into seasons, you know, in work and family and, and all those things. You know, many of you have got, have got significant, you know, responsible roles in your workplace. You know, you... you, you, you you might be leading or managing an organisation or a, or a branch or something like that. And, and, you know, yeah, the buck stops with you. But you know what? You still, there's an incredible humility that comes with knowing you're not the biggest thing in town. That, that, that you're actually there for those that you lead and, and you're bringing them with you. And, 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 and the more that, that you say, well, you know what? I've actually got to be lesser in that. And, and, and what we're doing becomes greater you can actually be more successful in what you do. And I think that's a, a, a great thing to take in to, to a new year. The band want to come and, and join me now, please. So if you, want to, if, you want, if you want to finish seasons and start new ones, 
let's be happy for other people's success. Let's be happy for other people's success. Let's decide that somebody else's success doesn't mean that you're less successful. The kingdom is so large. And, and so often we feel like we're going to fight for our spot. There's no way. The kingdom is so big that you can continue to, to, to grow beyond your wildest dreams in the kingdom of God. And it's never going to be filled up. Somebody else can come in and God can do incredible things. And that's, that's not going to overshadow you. Keep, let's keep making God bigger. Let's keep drawing closer to Him. Let's, let's make sure that, that our focus and, and our gaze is on, on who He is. And let's live out of the measure of faith that God has given us. Matthew Henry said, We should not envy those who have a larger share of gifts than we have or move in larger spheres of usefulness. Let's, let's just not envy what God is doing in somebody else. Let's thank God that he's using that person in an incredible way and allow him to do what he's going to do in us. And you'll be amazed at where you get to. And let's just be like John the Baptist. Say, you know what? Jesus, you are greater. You've got to become bigger in my world. And my stuff and my humanity actually sits under that and I'll become lesser. Let's stand.